So far, 33 million people affected by the floods. The death toll, at least as what's been confirmed so far, is around 1,300. But with more rain expected in the coming weeks, the death toll is likely to rise and rise as rise. And, of course, waterborne illnesses like diarrhoea, cholera, dengue fever and malaria are, well almost inevitable. Samina Yasmin is director of the Centre for Muslim States and Societies and professor of political science and international relations at the University of Western Australia. Samina, welcome back. The Prime Minister says the worst floods in history, the scale of the devastation is enormous. So what do you think about the death toll? What It could be anything, couldn't it? It could be anything because in case of Pakistan, counting numbers is anybody's guess. And I think what we're really hearing is the tip of the iceberg. It's not easy to work out <clears throat> Sorry, how many people were in an area and how many have actually managed to survive, how many have managed to relocate. So I think we're just getting some numbers. It's really once the floods come to an end, that we'll be able to work out what is the real death toll. And of course, what is the number of people who have been forced to flee, people who don't have any homes, and people that have lost loved ones, not just one or two, but a lot of them, all at at the same time. Now, the floods have destroyed crops. According to the government, more than 2 million acres of agricultural land is flooded. Exactly. And I think we need to think about how the agricultural land is really uh, sort of marked in the whole of Pakistan. As we go through Punjab and also Sindh, there's a lot of very fertile land, and especially the one because it has been the site of a number of canals the British built historically when they were in the region. And the productivity of that land has been great. But really, because one third of the country is underwater, a lot of these areas have been really inundated with water and the crops have been destroyed, which are going to add to Pakistan's problems. The floods don't seem to have put a dent in the public rally schedule of Imran Khan, who's of course, was ousted as PM after that no-confidence vote in April. What is he up to? Well, what the problem is, and you can get me started on that, is that at a really serious, very heart-aching stage in Pakistan's history, a time when Pakistan has never experienced such floods. Imran Khan, having been ousted from power in April this year, has really taken it upon himself to present a narrative, which is that he was thrown out because there was a conspiracy from the United States and the present government was really working for them. And there have been different times when he's talked about the military and the judiciary and the bureaucracy. And the whole narrative that has been building up and the rallies that he's been organizing or Pakistan Tehreke himself has been organizing and he speaks there, they were so popular, a lot of people were going there. And at some level, I just expected that with the devastation that this flood has caused for a number of people, you know, more than Australia's total population, he would at least stop for the time being, 
this need to assert that he has been wronged and early elections are necessary. And without that and without getting rid of the government, nothing would change. So to put it simply, the floods have not really changed his mind about the need to convince people in Pakistan, mostly the young people, but even others, that he's the only leader that Pakistan can he's, have and deserves. So the, the, the mass rallies are mass, lots of people attending. Oh, yes, they're huge. And interesting bit is that there are times when there are lots of young people, but there are also elderly people, lots of women. And you have to give the Pakistan Tehreke in Saaf or PTI the credit that unlike in other rallies when you could have people sort of not being nice to women, these rallies are very well organized. They're really choreographed. Uh, and there's music and then there's some different mentions of what's happening. And he's got this great style where he really captures everyone's attention. So people go there. I've heard of stories where, especially in Karachi, some people literally stood a couple of kilometers away from where he was hosting his rally and they still kept staying there just to want to listen to him. So the number keeps growing. But I think my concern is that at this stage, the focus on elections when the country is going through such a difficult time really shows that he's not interested in dealing with problems of the country but just regaining power. Well, it, it is fairly distasteful, isn't it? But you point out that he's a masterful user of social media, that he's revered on social media. Oh, he's revered on social media. He's even revered in person. You know, you go into the shops, like when I was in Pakistan recently, I just do this rough poll asking different people who to decide with. And a lot of young people just talk about him. He's the only one. There's a joke that goes around that maybe there's 124,000 prophets and it could be 124,001 because he is the next prophet. And excuse, it's not meant to be blasphemy, but that's the joke that goes out. So he's revered in person on the media. Basically, there's a huge movement that presents him as the savior of Pakistan and criticizes anyone and everyone that Imran tells them has been responsible for getting him out of power. So it's amazing just looking at the critical comments about the military critical comments about the judiciary. And you've got to understand and accept the fact that the politicians are being criticized. But I think the language and the way anyone and everyone who even remotely is critical of Imran Khan attracts quite nasty remarks. It tells you that he knows how to use social media and social media is giving him even more popularity. And of course, he augments his own celebrity via the celebrity of others. And this is demonstrated in, in that uh, flood relief charity he set up. Oh, yeah. But what's also interesting is that he does that, but at the same time, he doesn't actually acknowledge that this is the time when Pakistan needs another solution. Uh, I often think about, especially in the last few sort of weeks, 
is that if we look at history of other significant movements, and some people may disagree with this, but Muslim Brotherhood made its presence felt in the Middle East because they weren't just simply talking politics, they were actually organizing people on ground and getting them to go and help other people. He has created this relief program, but the reality is that attention is more focused on holding these rallies. For example, there was one couple of days ago, then there was one yesterday. And what's concerning is that in each one of these rallies, he criticizes somebody or the other. He's even threatened uh, a judge who didn't do what he wanted him to do vis-a-vis one of the members who were who was maltreated when he was arrested. And then uh, yesterday's rally, he was uh, taking a U-turn and he was trying to explain that he is not against the military. He wants strong institutions, strong judiciary. It's only the politicians he wants to get rid of. <laughs> now, Samina, there's one of the responses to all of this are reports that the Taliban is gaining ground in the north. Exactly. And that's a problem that I think dates back to even prior to Imran Khan being ousted, because historically, Tehrik Taliban Pakistan, which is sort of affiliated but not really with the Afghan Taliban or was influenced by them, they were very strong in Sawat northern areas in 2009, and they affected the area quite badly. With Taliban coming back to power, we see that Taliban in Afghanistan are not willing to rein in this TTP. And so they've become very strong. And people, especially somebody like former Senator Faradullah Babur, who is familiar with the scene in uh, northern northwest part of Pakistan, he has constantly drawn attention to the fact that TTP or Pakistani version of Taliban is getting strong in the northern parts. In Balochistan, we have got Balochistan Liberation Army. They engage in some terrorist activities. So instead of focusing on how to counter militancy, Imran Khan is drawing attention away from them by just simply holding these rallies. And at a time when Pakistan is really going through a very tough time. And of course, as climate change worsens, Pakistan will see more devastating floods like this. And of course, the other side of it, they'll also have the, the droughts. What sort of conversations are happening to, uh, well, to mitigate the terrible impact of them and to build resilience? Well, the first thing is that after 2010 floods, there were reports prepared. So National Disaster Management Authority actually came up with a report that identified the problems, suggested that there needs to be more organization, both at provincial level and at the national level, and really wanted to set up a structure that would survive when there are floods. At the same time, I think environmental degradation started becoming an issue in Pakistan and people started taking note of that. But the reality is because the leadership, and that applies to all leaders, it's not just Imran Khan, has been more focused on acquiring and then retaining power 
what's happened is that after those reports by NDMA or National Disaster Management Authority, not much was done. And so when Pakistan faces this huge calamity, uh, basically it's a military that ends up being the primary relief provider and then ordinary people who organize themselves and go and help these people. So I think the Pakistan government, whosoever comes into power, will really have to think seriously and say, how do we make sure that we don't have this problem? Because with uh, sort of glaciers melting uh, and rainfall increasing, it's going to be happening again. Of course, but Samina. Look, thank you for your time. Samina Yasmin is the director of the Centre for Muslim Studies and Societies and professor of political science and international relations at the University of Western, Western Australia. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.